0: Welcome back to We the Museum, a podcast for museum workers who want to form a more perfect institution. I'm your host, Hannah Huthman, owner and executive producer at Better Lemon Creative Audio, where I make podcasts for museums, history organizations, and other cultural nonprofits. My first job in the public history slash museum field was at AASLH, the American Association for State and Local History. I left that position in 2017 and soon after started making podcasts for the field, which I've been doing ever since. The reason I bring this up is because I was around at AASLH for the first conversations about the upcoming semi-quincentennial, the 250th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Back then, we were still a decade out from 2026, and there was plenty of time to plan. Now, it's only three years away, and for any institutions who want to capitalize on the event, the time to start planning is probably now. To learn more about the 250th and how we can ethically and truthfully engage with this anniversary, I spoke to Madeline Rosenberg at AASLH. I asked her why we should care about the semi-quincentennial, how we can practice ethical commemoration, how to make this a catalyst for more inclusive history, and what resources are out there for museums who want to get involved. While ASLH's focus is on public history institutions, I think this conversation will be useful to the wider field. Art museums, natural history museums, parks, etc. You all have objects and stories to share when it comes to reflecting on and examining America's history before, during, and after the revolutionary period. But before we jump into my conversation with Madeline, I want to shout out our show sponsor, Landslide Creative. This podcast would not be happening without their support. Landslide Creative provides custom website design and development for museums who want to increase their engagement and connect with their visitors, donors, and volunteers. With a custom website designed for the unique needs of your museum, you can stop fighting with your website and focus on growing your impact. So head over to LandslideCreative.com to learn more and say thanks for sponsoring We the Museum. All right, let's talk commemoration and the 250th.
1: Hello, thanks for having me on the show. I'm Madeline Rosenberg. I'm the Pomeroy Foundation Semi-Quincentennial Manager at the American Association for State and Local History. My job primarily entails leading ASLH's efforts to help ready the field for the 250th anniversary of the United States, which is coming up in 2026. So the 250th of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So on a day-to-day basis, what I'm doing is supporting strategy and vision setting for the anniversary, leading development of resources and programming, especially for small organizations. I support state-level planning and activities and convene key networks. And I also work on current and new partnerships for this 250th anniversary, or semi-quincentennial is another word you might hear. For those of you who don't know, ASLH is the National Professional Association for Public History Institutions and the staff and volunteers who make them run. So, we provide professional development programs, resources, advocacy, publications, and research, and more for about 5,500 institutional and individual members.
0: So, the semi quincentennial this is a follow up from the bicentennial, uh, the 200th anniversary. Of the signing of the Declaration, which was obviously back in the 70s. Now, I think for older members of our field, the idea of the the 250th is like inherently exciting. They lived through the bicentennial, a lot of them as kids or, or young people. And I think for a lot of them, that energy uh, around history and preservation is what inspired them to make history a career. I've met a lot of people like, you know, in their late 50s, early 60s are like, this is why I went into public history. That was a birth of public history as, like, a bigger field as well. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to start off by, like, how do you think the 250th will be different? And what, what makes it different from the Bicentennial? Just to get us started
1: off with, like, kind of comparing those two. Sure, yeah. And I've also met many people in our field who cite the Bicentennial as what inspired them to join the field. We also know that a huge portion of the 20,000 or so history organizations and sites that exist in the U.S. now were formed in the bicentennial era. And as you said, it's you know, it was a huge time for history. The state humanities councils were established. There was a spike in public interest in history and geology and historic preservation. And the public history field itself was formalized. But I think, as you are probably alluding to, there were also a lot of Critiques of the bicentennial period or efforts with people objecting to it not being representative of their experiences or perspectives, not being as inclusive or pluralistic as it should be, being too triumphalist in tone, being politicized. And ultimately, uh, what you saw was a lot of local and grassroots bicentennial efforts that were formed to complicate and broaden and supplement the national efforts of the bicentennial. I do think that there is a lot of um, emphasis in our public memory of the bicentennial on those few national efforts. You hear people talk about the tall ships or things like that. But there were also many, many grassroots and local efforts where communities really made it their own. And I'm emphasizing that because I think that's one of the aspects that we'd really like to see even more of for the semi quincentennial. We think that the 250th can and will mark not just the 250th signing of the Declaration of Independence. But we want to see it as an opportunity to engage with history of what's now known as the United States beginning millennia before 1776 and then through to 1776 all the way to the present day. And we want to see Americans of all beliefs and backgrounds engaging with this anniversary from all over the country, whether they're in, you know, one of the states that has perhaps really direct ties to the revolutionary era or not. Um, But we want to see everyone feel like their history matters because of this anniversary. So I think that grassroots element and that more pluralistic element is something that we'd really like to see emphasized in the semi-quincentennial, and I hope will be different. And I'm sure we'll get into this more. I think that the 1970s were a very complex political and social and cultural time. This is also an extremely complex political and social and cultural moment. And so I think that that context Is going to have to shape 250th planning. It already is, and I think it's sort of inextricable from what the 250th will be.
0: A lot of people also have that memory of it or knowledge of it as a very patriotic, celebratory, flag-waving kind of moment, and that kind of can create some ambivalence. So I guess to kind of go into a pretty blunt question, why should we care? <laughs> um, for history workers, for the public, for museums, do we really need to mark this anniversary? Why is important? Why should we care or get
1: involved or participate? That is a totally valid question. And what I would say is that anniversaries are high-profile opportunities to draw focus and to center attention, and that they are moments for reckoning and reflection and hopefully inspiration. Ultimately, anniversaries are what we make of them, and the 250th is going to be what we make of it. So at ASLH, we think, we really do think that the 250th has transformative potential, that it's a once in a generation chance to do two really important things. Do lots of things, but there's sort of two we're focusing on for our vision of the 250th. So the first is that we think it can help society progress towards justice through a full and honest telling of American history through an inclusive approach to American history. And second, we're focusing on its potential to strengthen the history field by attracting interest and investment. I think that's a good
0: place to start from. Like, People are going to be talking
1: about this, so why not
0: make it an opportunity? Why not have the people who are doing inclusive history stand up and make sure that that's the type of history that's being discussed and involved and you know, why not use this to get more money and support for the field? Um, we certainly need it, you know. So going back to the idea of the inclusive history, history that moves us towards justice, we find ourselves, as you've alluded to, in a in a moment of, of highly visible pushback against inclusive history. I mean, every day, even you know, since I wrote these questions a week ago, like the, the the pushback is more. So in light of that and this ongoing work of a lot of people in the field to tell a fuller story of American history, how do we use what could very easily be a kind of mainstream uh, telling of history to generate interest in history that, that isn't just celebratory of a period where there's slavery, native genocide, and a whole bunch of injustices? Like, How do we use this moment that is, it feels like it could be a celebration to do realistic history that is honest and truthful?
1: Yeah, so we we really do believe that the 250th-ism is a time where more than ever, we need to be continuing to push forward towards a reckoning with all of American history. And as you're saying, do it in an honest and nuanced way that takes head on all of the contingencies and complexities and tensions and ambiguities in American history. You know, as you're saying, there is a small, powerful minority of people in this country working very hard to hinder that progress towards inclusive history, towards a full, honest telling of American history, whether it's through censorship or book bans or teacher intimidation. And we think that we can use the 250th as a time to bolster our efforts to overcome that disruption of American history and to share a full story of the United States with all of its complexity and to use that history to help and illuminate the present and contemporary challenges that we're facing. So beyond just using the 250th as a sort of high-profile focal point, because I think there's sort of a value in and of itself of it being a platform, I think as part of this anniversary, we need to start from a place of being really thoughtful about what marking the birthday of the Declaration of Independence means and be open to the fact that it means different things to different people. We also need to be transparent about the fact that there is a significant disconnect between the ideals associated with the revolutionary era and the experiences of lots of people in our society over time through the present day. I think having that mindset of just being open and engaging with the different meanings that this anniversary can have for different people um, and the different experiences people have had can inform our planning conversations, the resources we develop, the programs that different history organizations put on curricula and lesson plans, whatever people do. But I think going into this thoughtfully and critically and being open to nuance will will go a long way in making this anniversary multidimensional mm. and inclusive.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess there's something about that balance between drawing in people who have a reverence for history or have an interest for history. Um, whatever that is, whether that's just a respect for their ancestors or the museum goers who want to see old documents and helping them have that fuller experience of complicating the history with like, I I just went to the New York Public Library's little exhibition. The thing they have up front, like kind of, you know, outlined in some light that you're drawn to is a page from one of Jefferson's drafts of the Declaration of Independence. And like, it's in his own hands. There's four pages. And anyone who's, like, a history buff would be drawn to that. But it's pages outlining the problems with slavery that he didn't end up including in, in the Declaration. And so the interpretation, it's a very complicated look at that. And so you have this moment of reverence of, like, the past and an important handwriting and someone who shaped the country with the complication of, like, his involvement in slavery and his role in that and his inability to... Uh, reject that in this society he's building. So I think it's it's moments like that that hopefully we can use.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that we we really you know going back to that that first pillar of our vision of wanting to to really focus on inclusive history as a way of moving towards that more perfect union. We want to see a two hundred and fiftieth that ensures that people of all beliefs and backgrounds see themselves in the American story that they have a deeper understanding that history matters, and not only that history matters, but that their history matters, because this can help create more widely shared understandings of our past, and it can illuminate contemporary problems. It's also, this more inclusive approach is not only more accurate history, a lot of research shows that it's actually what most Americans want, that they want the whole story, Mm. that they want the complexity, that they want all of it and not less of it. And so I think we're on very solid ground um, when we say, you know, we need to move towards this fuller picture. We need to explore the diversity past and present of American history because it's, like I said, it's accurate and it's going to help us move the needle, I think, and progress as a society. Yeah. And the fact that that's
0: what people want, that's a great, that's a great thing for people to keep in mind too, for practitioners to keep in mind. Yes. Yes. This is interesting to people. People like to be challenged and learn new things and see new perspectives. Yeah. We'll be right back to my conversation with Madeline Rosenberg. But first, it's time for a digital minute with Amanda Dyer, Creative Director at Landslide Creative. Hi, I'm Amanda Dyer, Creative Director at Landslide Creative. And I've got a quick tip you can use to improve your museum website. Think of your website visitors as skimmers, swimmers, and divers. Skimmers want to get in, get the information they need, and get out as quickly as possible. Swimmers might be willing to spend a bit more time and are looking for content that piques their interest, and divers want to explore and take it all in. Consider each of these types of visitors in the website experience, just like you would in your museum experience. For skimmers, make sure the most important information can be found quickly and easily. For swimmers, think about how you can use interactive content and media to encourage engagement, and for divers, Offer more in-depth resources and regularly add fresh content. You can learn more about how to design for skimmers, swimmers, and divers on our website at landsidecreative.com skim. And back to the episode. So before I move on to a bit more practical considerations, I want to talk about the ethics of commemoration. How do we put this anniversary or this moment in the broader context of commemoration and memorialization for events both positive and, and tragic?
1: That is a great question. Well, I think that, first off, it's always good to put any anniversary commemoration in a broader context and to look past and left and right and see if there are any lessons that we can draw from other commemorations or anniversaries to see what was effective and what was less effective. So with that in mind, you know, in one sense, I think thinking about commemoration ethically could be looking at models from the past, like the bicentennial, and say, okay, what worked, what didn't, and try to apply them to the 250th. So for instance, like we said, the grassroots locally driven approaches in the Bicentennial produced many of the more pluralistic aspects of that commemoration. So that can be a model when we're looking at the 250th is communities wanting to have a voice and giving meaning to that 250th and not being told what the meaning is. On the other, you know, in another sense, you can also look at the broader context in the present day to your left and right and say what's going on with commemorative efforts and conversations and how can that inform the 250 and then help us achieve our goals. And I think it's worth noting that we're in a moment of really complicated, substantive, civic discourse about our memory as a society and the stories we're telling. And that's manifesting in debates about monuments and memorials and street names and building names. And I think all of these debates have, to a certain extent, primed many members of the American public to be more attuned to the dynamics and sensitivities of public memory and commemoration. They may not use that vocabulary, but I think that that's often what we're talking about. And I think it's important with the 250th to have that greater context in mind with the planning, that this is part of a larger conversation we're having as a society about what story we want to tell about ourselves and who gets to tell it.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's any value in kind of, um, I guess you need to talk about like monuments and things like that, that are at least on the surface, positive depictions, right? Like even if it's Confederate memorial, it was intended to be positive and we can then break it down from there. But what about... Um, commemorations and memorials of tragedies, of things that everyone recognizes as we're remembering this because it it was bad that it happened. Um, how do we kind of use those to understand the semi the the two fiftieth? I can't say the word anymore. How do we I know have, I how know we, how do we use that to understand the two the the darker sides of the two fiftieth as well? I think that
1: um we can look to commemorative efforts and anniversaries that have occurred that I think as you're saying are not marking moments perhaps that we would want to celebrate and see what made them meaningful or effective for their communities and what made them feel like they were not only telling what happened in the past but looking forward which I think the most effective commemorative efforts are not just about what happened but they really are comments on the present day and where we want to be and and who we want to be. And I think that many of the more successful or effective efforts of that nature have done a really good job of making sure that the planning process is inclusive, is dynamic, is speaking to present-day issues that are affecting people's lives. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, I
0: think maybe that's it. Maybe there's something about like the the listening and the holding space for people to grieve what happened or to mm-hmm. um, reflect on the painful parts of our history um, so that they can move forward. But making that space, making that time, uh, letting people have that moment to talk about what they or their ancestors went through.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think a, a big part of, of commemoration has to be listening, just as you said. listening for what the commemoration means to different people, listening for what they would want to come out of a commemoration. Because I think if a commemoration is sort of simply marking the passage of time, it's unlikely to have any sort of lasting impact. But if you use it, as I said at the outset, for reckoning, for reflection, for inspiration, then it's an an opportunity for people to say, this is where we've been, this is where we are, and this is where we'd like to go. And I think absolutely that has to be a multifaceted conversation. There have to be a lot of voices in that conversation. And there has to be room for ambiguity and people to feel differently about what the significance of a given date or moment or anniversary is. I think it's just about getting our heads around what commemoration
0: and memorialization mean (laughs) um, and what it can encompass, uh, which is a lot more than... We might think especially going, oh, 250th anniversary in America. Um, this can be a lot more complicated. This can be a lot more nuanced than we might initially think. Yeah. So we've addressed the, the why or the the why should we care. Um, so I'm going to pivot on to like the how and the what. And then I'll talk practically about what museums and other history organizations can do to make the most of this moment. You know, if you've been inspired by what we're talking about, okay, how do we apply that in practice? So, first of all, um, can you tell me about what's already being
1: done, what's in motion, who's doing things, and what are they doing? Yeah, what's everybody up to? It might be helpful if I gave you a bit of an overview of the landscape of two fiftieth planning because it's a it's a little complicated, and there is a lot going on. So, formal planning efforts began at the national level in 2016 when Congress established the U.S. Semiquincentennial Commission. So that's a body that's made up of eight members of Congress and 16 private citizens and several heads of uh, major federal agencies. The commission then created a nonprofit arm called the America 250 Foundation. And that nonprofit arm, that foundation, is charged with executing the vision of the commission. Both the commission and America 250 have undergone leadership transitions and restructuring recently. And what that means is that for those of us here in the field, we're still, I think, waiting a little bit to, to see what the ultimate direction of the national planning bodies ends up being. But one thing that hasn't changed and has been the case since the beginning of the Commission in America 250's founding is that this is going to be largely a decentralized grassroots commemoration. So that's something we've known for several years, and what that means is that we can get moving, should get moving, um, rather than waiting for uh, some sort of national plan to be handed down. There's a lot going on at the state and local level. There are 32 state commissions or similar entities now that are charged with 250th planning. And then there are a handful of local or county commissions that are or similar entities that are forming at the more local level. And so they, you know, it varies by state sort of where they are in their planning. Some are just beginning, some have been working on this for years but I'm hopeful in the next few years that we're going to see a lot of programs and activities and resources being launched. And then there are federal agencies that are have their own initiatives underway. And of course, there are individual museums, historic sites, et cetera, doing their own planning of exhibitions and public programs and whatever it might be. So that is not a very concise summary, but I think the bottom line is that there is a lot going on. I think ASLH is trying to serve as a central point for history organizations who want inspiration, guidance, resources, or a place to begin because it is decentralized in grassroots and grassroots in nature, and that's something that we can do for the field. Yeah. So speaking of that, what resources
0: are out there, what's available through ASLH, and what else is out there for them to
1: start thinking and planning? We have been working on the 250th for a very long time, since before my time at ASLH. In 2016, I think our activities started to push for a 250th that, as I said, advances a full picture of American history and solidifies the role of history organizations as vital community assets. So we've been doing a number of things. We are doing the vision setting and goal development that I discussed earlier on, and that's been happening for several years of convening varied members of the field to help try to give this 250th a unity of vision and purpose. Our most significant resource that we've developed so far, it's probably been our Making History at 250th, the field guide for the semi-quincentennial. I was gonna like hold it up as if you could see it, but obviously like, yeah. It's a document, it's very nice graphic design. (laughs) So this is a publication that was supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities, and it was developed in collaboration with leading public and academic historians. And this guide offers five unifying themes to help grassroots efforts for planning for history organizations. So even though it is going to be grassroots, we think this guide can offer an entry point for history organizations across the country, whether they are directly connected to the Revolutionary War or whether they feel like they don't really have a connection to that era, but there are thematic connections that they can draw on. So I'm happy to talk more about those themes, but I'll just mention a few other things. We're also doing some programmatic planning to support the history field and their preparations for the 250th. So later this month, April 27th and 28th, we're holding a virtual summit called Commemoration Reconsidered Ethics Justice in America's 250th Anniversary. And it's going to touch on a lot of the themes that you and I have been discussing today, like Does commemoration matter? Why does it matter? Why does the 250th matter? What are the ethics of it? What are the quote-unquote rules of it? And then we're going to be holding an interpretive planning webinar over the summer to use the field guide um, to help sites with their interpretive planning efforts for the 250th. Um, And those are usually recorded as well, so people will be able to access them later. The webinars? Yeah. Yes. The webinars will be recorded. The webinars will be May, June, and July. And then we're having an in-person workshop in Boise at our annual meeting to encourage strategic planning that will take history organizations through 2026. So that connects to that idea that... that'll be in the fall. Yeah, that'll be in the Mm -hmm. fall in September. And it's an opportunity for sites and history organizations to, to work to get their organizations in order in anticipation of what we think will be an increased visitation numbers in 2026, perhaps increased funding opportunities and increased attention to our field. So the idea is that we want to get ready and get prepared. Awesome. So yeah, so we got the summit coming
0: up. Some of those will be recorded and available. The webinar coming up, webinars, webinars will be recorded available later. Uh, Opportunities for learning and connection at the annual meeting in the fall. So in the Making History at 250 field guide, um, you've kind of paraphrased this, but uh, John Digital wrote that the semi-quincentennial will be whatever we decide it should be. And I guess that really means it'll be whatever questions we decide to ask about our history. So I wanna take a minute to explore some of the themes and questions in the field guide um, that you've just mentioned that use the 250th as a jumping off point to get people thinking critically about history. So. First, and maybe my favorite just because I like the title, is Unfinished Revolution. So there's a series of themes here. Can you share a few of the questions from the Unfinished Revolutions theme that, that people can use?
1: Yeah, I, I'm i glad you asked about that one because I think that theme of Unfinished Revolutions is one that I've heard you know, anecdotally that resonates with a lot of different types and sizes of organizations. So that's been good to see. So some of the questions are... How have America's founding documents been used to press for social, political, and economic change? Another one is, beyond the revolution itself, what were other revolutionary moments in the history of our country, or a given state, or a given community? We also encourage people to ask questions like, when have members of your community advocated for liberty and equality, and how have those with power responded? Another is, when has there been progress, and when have there been setbacks in the fight for rights and justice? And then we have one more, how might the perspectives of different individuals or groups change how we think about the ongoing process of becoming a more perfect union? So the idea is that we sort of give the theme and a brief summary that that explains why it was selected and its significance, and then a host of questions that we think will offer, like I said, entry points for different organizations, regardless of how connected they feel to the 250th, we feel like it's an entry point for them and their audiences. yeah.
0: And I like that too, because it allows for a different time frames, you know, museums that maybe, you know, talk about civil rights history, that's, you know, part of an ongoing revolution. Um, museums that are, have an exhibition on uh, protests from the last few years, you know, these are all connected to those themes that can kind of make that connection back through history without it just being like, well, if your museum doesn't do anything about the revolution then, and the Declaration of Independence, then this isn't for you. It, it is. So we're talking about, yeah. you know, using it to... To explore themes across history. Um, so then we have the other, some of the other themes are power of place, really like that one, we the people, uh, American experiment, and then last, doing history. The doing history theme has questions like, how do history professionals use different kinds of sources to make sense of the past? And this kind of harks back to the role of the, the bicentennial in boosting the public history field itself, the doing of history. Uh, So do you want to say a little bit about why is Leitch is recommending a focus on the process of history as part of this commemoration? Why is that important?
1: Yeah, I also really like that. theme. (laughs) I can say that because I didn't write the guide. So yeah, so doing history, you know, part of that is an effort to, as you said, reinvigorate public engagement with history and get people excited about history by pulling back the curtain on the process, how we collect the evidence about the past, how we interpret it how we synthesize it into narratives, and then how those narratives are presented in books or exhibitions, or however members of the public ultimately encounter history. We think that that process is not just innately interesting to people who are curious about how things work, but we also think it helps the public understand what history is and why it matters. And that can expand critical thinking skills and historical literacy skills, as well as help people see the relevance of history to present-day concerns. And it's also connected to helping the public see the value of inclusive history and become more comfortable with ambiguity, complexity, nuances, and the fact that history is ever-evolving in nature. So I think it's those two things of sort of just deepening engagement with history, but it has this output of benefit for members of the public in terms of Giving them skills to navigate what has become, I think, a increasingly complex terrain for a lot of people. Mm. And of course, ASLH has an entire
0: podcast on that theme, produced by me, called uh, "Reframing History," uh, that you can check out wherever you get podcasts. I had a lot of fun making that one. Final question for anyone listening who you know works in a museum, works at a history museum, works at an art museum, wherever they work, that they want to be involved. When should they start getting involved in the 250th planning? And what is a good first step?
1: I would encourage people who want to get involved to get involved now. I think that 2026 might seem like it's a long way away, but it's actually not. And especially, I think, you know, we talked a lot about doing commemoration ethically and effectively. And a huge part of that is listening work. And that has to happen upfront. And so it, for those who want to plan, I would say start, start now, start talking, start listening, start engaging to sort of figure out what it's going to look like for you and your audiences or stakeholders, whoever they may be. A good way to get started is to go to ASLH's website. Um, sorry to plug ourselves, but we have a lot of great first steps there. Um, you can go to aaslh.org slash program slash 250th, like two five zero. And we have our field guide is available free on there. You can learn about our upcoming programs. You can learn more about what state commissions exist. Another thing you can do that is maybe less (laughs) self-promotional is try to find out if your state has a commission and you can contact them and see what they're up to. You could find out if your county or your municipality or whatever it might be, if there's a commission for the 250th and see what they're up to and, and see if it's of interest to you. But we just encourage you to see it as an opportunity um, because we really think it could have a long-lasting impact.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. That's, that's it for me. Thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank
1: you. Really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for listening to We the Museum. You've been listening to my conversation with Madeline Rosenberg, who leads the semi-quincentennial planning efforts at AASLH, the American Association for State and Local History. For show notes and a transcript of this episode, visit the show website, wethemuseum.com. In the show notes, I've linked to all the resources mentioned in this episode. And don't forget to check out Reframing History, the six-part podcast series on history communication that I produced for AASLH last year. You can find Reframing History wherever you usually get your podcasts. Once again, a big, big thank you to our show sponsor, Landslide Creative. Making a podcast takes a lot of time and energy, and I wouldn't be able to set aside the space to make this show without Landslide Creative's financial support. If your museum is considering a new website, definitely make Landslide Creative your first stop. Finally, I've been your host, Hannah Hethman. As owner and executive producer at Better Lemon Creative Audio, I help museums around the world plan produce, and edit podcasts that advance their missions. Find out more about my work at betterlemonaudio.com.